Good afternoon, and welcome to Everyday Law. I'm your host, Bob Clark. As always, the opinions that are offered on this show are not those of Howard Community College, and any legal advice that you divine from this show is not intended for your specific individual legal situation. If you need a lawyer, it's important that you contact a lawyer and express to them your circumstances so they can give you their professional opinion. Today on the show, we have an eminent trial lawyer from the District of Columbia, Victor E. Long, Jr. Welcome to the show, Victor. Oh, thank you, Bob. Thank you very much for having me. Victor and I have been acquaintances for about 30 years or so, that we were partners together at a law firm based in the District of Columbia some years ago. And then Victor branched off and, along with two of my other former partners, started a very famous firm, Regan, Zambri, and Long. And... uh, he is the long in that title. I am the long. We've been, uh, actually, we just celebrated our 15th anniversary as a firm at Regan Zamory and Long. Well, that's a wonderful thing. Um, there's a lot of prominent cases that kind of wander through the Washington Post that your firm is involved. And one of the questions I have asked a lot of prior guests is, how is it you ended up becoming a lawyer in the first place? Well, I, I think I always wanted to uh, be a lawyer. I grew up uh, essentially uh, a child of the 60s, if you will, and uh, being an African-American, I f- felt a sense of uh, wanting to help other people, and I, I talk a lot, so I thought maybe... Ideal combination? A pretty good combination there, so uh, I was always interested in, in, in helping people in some manner. So was it sort of social justice consciousness, or how what... what animated you. Yeah, it really was social um, justice consciousness. I was a student of American history. I was very well aware of my circumstances. And where, uh, now where'd you grow up? Well, I grew up actually in uh, upstate New York, uh, north of Syracuse, New York. Uh, kind of an unlikely place, I think, to find myself more or less uh, 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 in a rural area. Large African-American community there? <laughs> Absolutely no African-American <laughs> community there. Uh, let me just give you a little bit of background about how I got there. My dad uh, grew up on a farm, actually um, a, a sharecropper, uh, his father was. Uh, and when he turned 18, uh, it was uh, just about the beginning of World War II. Um, and he decided um, that he would volunteer. There was a group of um, a newly formed Marine unit called the Mumford Point Marines. Uh, that was the first African-American unit. Um, he joined that unit uh, and actually fought in the uh, South Pacific. Um, after he graduated, uh, he went to uh, the University of Wisconsin on the GI Bill and became an electrical engineer. Uh, Sounds like my dad. Oh, is that right? Okay. Iowa State, same thing. Fought in World War II, came back, went to Iowa State, got an electrical engineering degree. Oh, we've got a connection there. <laughs> we do. Uh, we didn't know that. And so, uh, it, well, General Electric had a heavy military division that was uh, located um, north of Syracuse, New York. Uh, they later sold that division to Northrop Grumman. Uh, but he worked on a lot of the um, tow missile uh, uh, electronics and that sort of thing, and that's he met my mother up there, and that's how I uh, ended up in uh, north of Syracuse, New York. Uh, after that, I 
uh, came down to the Washington area. I went to Johns Hopkins. You are a Blue Jay. I went to Johns so Hopkins. So how did you choose Hopkins, just out of interest? Uh, it was a, a great school, uh, but... Uh, it was a uh, point further south and away from the north. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, it was really a, almost a question of the weather, and, and it's a good school. Uh, and from there, I went up to uh, Northeastern University in Boston to go to law school. And I came to uh, Washington really wanting to work for the National Labor Relations Board. Um, but that was a year that uh, uh, Mr. Reagan came to town. I remember it vividly. And decided that there would be no labor I mean, relations as we knew it. Uh, so I spent some time in the uh, U.S. Department of Labor and then the Justice Department, finally with the city council um, uh, where I uh, defended um, the city. Uh, and I got to uh, know a lot of the law firms and decided that I want, really wanted to do personal injury work. So defending the District of Columbia had to be an interesting pastime in that era. It was. It was a time when D.C. General Hospital uh, was uh, operating. And actually, so to speak. <laughs> so to speak. And um, that was uh, actually... Um, my primary area of work was doing uh, defending medical malpractice cases uh, for DC General Hospital, uh, which is how I met some of the people in our former firm where, where I met you, Bob. Uh, and then, of course, uh, I left uh, the city and, and began working uh, with the firm you were with. So it was a different era in trying medical malpractice cases also. Uh, it, it was. Um, I think a lot of the, um, the a lot of the types of things that used to happen um, are not as common. Thank goodness. So you're saying better medical practices? I think I think there are better medical practices, but there there are still um, lots of uh, situations um, that uh, should be addressed, but. Uh, unfortunately, probably will not get be addressed because the the cost of medical malpractice litigation is so high that I think Harvard University studies estimated that uh, the vast majority of medical mistakes go go unaddressed. I think that's historically been the case in their studies too, which uh, seems sort of ironic. It, it does seem to be a bit ironic. I wanted to talk a little bit um, about. Um, uh, I get asked the question quite often, is, do I really need an attorney? And one of the things I've noticed... Do you need an attorney? <laughs> uh, yeah, I would need an attorney if I was not an attorney. There have been so many uh, changes in uh, what we do that I don't think people realize. Um, actually, what we do now is very different than uh, what we've done in the past, uh, just in the nature of, of the way the laws changed. I think one of the things that uh, comes to my mind is uh, there are uh, many changes even in, in smaller cases, uh, reasons why you might need an attorney. Uh, and there are also um, ch changes or, or different dynamics in larger cases um, that lead to the same conclusion. I thought I'd talk a little bit about the smaller cases first. That sure, sure. Well, um, now, are you predominantly talking about the District of Columbia or Maryland or both? Well, no, this is really um, in the District of Columbia, Maryland, and perhaps uh, all over the country. 
Um, but one of the things that um, automobile man, uh, insurers have begun to use is computerized systems in order to evaluate cases. Sure. Uh, uh, you may have heard of, uh, I'm sure you have, Colossus. Uh, of Colossus. Um, and a lot of people who might think of handling their own cases uh, may not have heard of that. Can, can you tell the audience what Colossus is and how it affects things, please? Uh, sure. I, I think it was about 15 years ago that that um, a lot of the major insurance companies started using these insurance, or I'm sorry, uh, computer programs um, to evaluate cases. And it's really a matter of putting information into a computer and getting a result. if you don't have a lawyer, or if uh, then you might not know what type of information goes into these programs, and more than likely, um, you're probably not going to get a good evaluation or a good offer on your case. So you're saying that attorneys who are experienced doing this kind of work know what input is necessary to, to get a better result or a higher offer or a higher verdict and that sort of thing. Well, that's absolutely right. Um, in terms of settlements, in order to um, get an offer, people think, well, if I just pester the insurance company, uh, that might change uh, the evaluation. I don't really need an attorney. I'll just hold out for the highest amount. But that's really not true. The adjusters themselves really have very little um, say in how much the evaluation will be. Um, and, you know, it's really true even with attorneys who aren't familiar with Colossus in terms of what types of information the adjuster needs to increase an evaluation. Um, it's a very, very precise sort of thing. So in the scheme of your practice, what, what is it that you mostly do, would you say? Uh, well, I do currently um, – I'm actually um, – uh, Uh, board certified in in, uh, civil trial practice. And then I'm listening. And what what does that mean? So civil trial practice and civil pre-trial practice um, is uh, any type of, uh, from my perspective, any type of uh, case that you file in court uh, or can be filed in court to receive uh, compensation for harms and losses that you may have suffered um, in a, any type of personal injury case, whether it be construction, um, auto cases, uh, and quite often premises liabilities, uh, situations where people are injured on, on property, um, police pursuits, police misconduct, um, any, any situation where someone may be at fault for a personal injury you may have suffered. And you have a board certification. I gather that it's something similar to when physicians talk about being board certified in specialties. Uh, that's exactly right. There's uh, a national board of trial advocacy uh, that certifies attorneys um, who have, first of all, practiced and tried uh, many, many cases and then uh, taken an examination um, uh, in the uh, uh, civil procedure and civil pretrial procedure. It's actually a double board at this point. Wow. And then uh, we are required to be recertified. Um, How every, often does that occur? That occurs every five years. Um, and again, we have to continue um, being in the courtroom, trying cases, uh, a number of cases, um, as well as uh, in 
ensuring that we have not uh, had difficulty with the boards of professional responsibility or complaints against us uh, from our clients. Okay. So you predominantly do civil litigation. Is that mostly in D.C. or is that Maryland or is that also across the country? Uh, we practice, or my practice in particular, I'm uh, a member of the uh, District of Columbia Bar as well as uh, the Maryland Bar. Uh, as a firm, uh, we uh, also practice in Virginia. Uh, so... Uh, uh, Bob, you know what it's like being here in Maryland. We call it the uh, the DMV. So yeah. uh, the District Maryland and Virginia uh, is uh, our area of practice. And do you find that there's differences between the courts in which you practice? Uh, we do. the The jurisdictions uh, differ uh, a great deal, and even the counties within the jurisdiction. So, it's very important that you have a, a lawyer uh, that is uh, familiar with the, the jurisdiction uh, that you're in. Uh, so, uh, that's. Uh, uh, an important situation. I wanted to also um, um, talk a little bit more about um, the uh, the classes system, sure. um, just in terms of uh, a lot of attorneys you might go to and may not be familiar with it. Um, so what really happens is that uh, the lawyer has to provide uh, the insurance adjuster with uh, certain elements. They have to, to make sure that the specific injury is um, described properly. Um, uh, it's helpful if the attorney enters the diagnostic code. The CPT codes? The CPT codes. Um, if you've got more than one injury, perhaps you've hurt your neck um, or your back, uh, those are separate injuries that are rated um, separately and evaluated separately. Uh, so the first thing would be um, to ensure that all of the various injuries are um, documented properly. Uh, now, is that theoretically the doctor's mission, or is that the lawyer's, or how does that work? Well, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that, because um, a lot of people will, will simply um, go to maybe a, a chiropractor and not see their, their primary physician. Um, it's important to um, see a primary physician if you have one. Um, it's important that your injuries are evaluated by an uh, orthopedic physician. Um, uh, the, uh, and this is, is not any type of secret, the insurance companies actually um, devalue cases uh, where persons only see chiropractors. Uh, so if, uh, if you're in that situation and you haven't spoken to a lawyer and made sure that your uh, injury is properly evaluated, that's going to really hurt your case. I mean, it seems sort of sad that, you know, if you choose a particular, an osteopath or a chiropractor or something, you may be penalized even though you have the same injuries as somebody who, who sees an orthopedic. 
Yeah, it does seem um, a little um, unfair, um, but really um, a medical doctor um, is uh, not only uh, the type of physician or a type of doctor that's recognized by the insurance companies, but we find that juries also um, want to um, know that the person has seen an, an orthopedic doctor or, or a medical doctor. Um, but let me just say a little bit more about sure. that. Um, it's not that chiropractors have no role. Okay. Um, uh, chiropractors are, are very um, uh, essential uh, to good treatment, and uh, they offer services that orthopods, uh, quite frankly, it cannot offer okay. uh, in terms of therapy. Um, and But we've found that where the injury is evaluated by an orthopedic physician and then who recommends uh, chiropractic, that that's a very good combination. Now, how prevalent is that? I mean, I would presume that there are orthopedists who don't want to recommend chiropractic because they have their own physical therapy outfit or things like that. Uh, th- that that does occur, um, but um, it, it's not universal. Uh, many chiro- many uh, uh, orthopedic physicians are um, affiliated with uh physical therapist, um, but especially if you've found perhaps in the past that you've benefit um, for chiropractic treatment, um, uh, you shouldn't be reluctant to tell your orthopod that uh, you might like to uh, try that and, and, and uh, see if that's beneficial. So it's important at the outset that you get a lawyer who knows sort of all of the rules of the game, Colossus, doctor versus chiropractor, all of those things. How can you tell if somebody does? Well, (laughs) that's a good question. Uh, I mean, I think that you can, uh, uh, ironically, uh, one of the things about uh, the Internet, uh, which I think is uh, superior to, you know, Perhaps the uh, yellow what, pages, for <laughs> the yellow pages, or or perhaps even in television, is that you can learn an awful lot about attorneys now um, by visiting their web pages. Uh, a lot of them, uh, like you, have uh, have podcasts, or or they have. Um, um, uh, segments or, or blogs on their on their web pages, um, which uh, show that they uh, they have experience in, in particular areas. Uh, so the internet can actually be be a, a great source of information. Also, can show you if people have been suspended or disbarred and that sort of thing. I've found clients periodically who will have a lawyer, and suddenly the lawyer can't help them anymore, and they don't understand. No, that that's that's absolutely true. Uh, the other area I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, and this is something that, uh, that most people don't think about and can get them into um, an incredible amount of difficulty. Um, I don't think that most people realize how much time um, personal injury lawyers uh, spend um, ensuring that all of their medical bills are paid or that all of their medical bills are paid in a way that is beneficial um, to the client. Uh, We spend uh, a great deal of time um, working with health insurance companies uh, to make sure that 
all of the benefits that their health insurance company should pay uh, in an accident are paid. And then once uh, those bills are paid uh, by the health insurance company, uh, we have um, ways of making sure that if you need to pay that health insurance company back, that you don't pay them more than they're entitled to, um, or even uh, we're in some situations we're even able to compromise them. Uh, by law, today in the District of Columbia and in uh, Maryland, um, if your health insurance uh, carrier pays uh, for your medical bills, you're entitled by statute to a reduction of the total amount. And a lot of people don't realize that. So that's a lot of the work that we do. So do do you think health insurers would take advantage of the ignorant on that? (laughs) It's possible. If you you don't bring it up, um, then uh, that's something that could occur. So the picture of what lawyers do, it isn't just you take the case, you develop it, you go to trial. There are all kinds of different aspects of it that lead up to trial that maybe are even more important than your trial skills. Yeah, that's really uh, what I wanted to to emphasize here today is that uh, we spend uh, most of our times and our staffs are, are behind the scenes um, working on the medical bills, making sure that once a case is settled, uh, that the person does and have to worry about uh, some unpaid medical bill, and then making sure that we get our clients the most amount possible after all the dust settles um, in their pockets, tax-free, to compensate them for uh, the harms and losses that they've suffered. So I think that's something a lot of the public doesn't understand, that these recoveries are, in fact, tax-free, even if a component of it, for example, is lost income. Uh, that's true. There's, there has been uh, certain situations, and, and it hasn't come up too often, uh, thank goodness, um, but uh, Usually, the component of it uh, that uh, may be for wages um, may not be um, taxed. Uh, Usually in our settlements, uh, the amount uh, of your final settlement um, is something that you don't even put on your income tax uh, form because it's not income to you. It's really to compensate you for a loss. Sure, sure. So how do you go about what a case is worth. I mean, it seems to me that you know, the only real way of ascertaining that is to have a jury make a decision. And yet I know from my experience that the overwhelming majority of cases end up getting resolved. How do you, what's the process you utilize to get to what a case is worth? Well, you know, this is where um, being a, a trial lawyer, um, like yourself, a person who actually goes to trial, has a tremendous advantage over lawyers who mostly settle cases. I tell all of my clients exactly what you just said, which is your case is worth what a jury will give to you. That's that's the true value of your case. And if someone tells you differently, then they're not being... It's not three times your specials? No, it's not three times your, your specials. Um, it, it's really um, what that jury offers. And so... Trial lawyers, uh, and I know you you do this, um, Bob, um, really what they do is they... 
try to figure out or 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 push the insurance companies to pay to find out the most they are willing to offer on a case. Okay. Um, and the way that's done is by pre- preparing the case properly, making sure it's ready to go to trial, um, pushing it up to that courthouse door, uh, having a um, a demand position or, or a settlement position where you make sure that you're asking perhaps a little bit more than what a jury would pay. Shocking. Well, but there comes a time when that insurance company says, you know what, if you want any more money than this, the jury's going to have to give it to you. And that's the settlement value. That's really the only settlement value. And then it becomes our job to recommend to you whether we think we can get more from a jury in your case or whether this is reasonable. Uh, Quite often, um, most of our cases settle, and we like to think that they settle in the highest ranges uh, because we take this approach. Um, But uh, usually uh, we can get, uh, by using this technique, we can get the insurance company to get us well within the range of what a jury might offer. And in that way, we're assured uh, that we've gotten the best possible settlement offer. Um, we have to keep in mind um, that when you come to a lawyer, uh, the client is the only one who can settle a case. Um, settlement decisions are what we call uh, uh, client decisions. They're not attorney decisions. Uh, clients are the only people that can settle a case what lawyers do is make recommendations. Uh, we make a recommendation as to uh, whether we think we can do a little better with a jury or whether you might do better having the certainty of a reasonable settlement offer. And uh, what we always try to do is get that certainty of a reasonable settlement offer. But um, by the same token, I couldn't be board certified if I didn't try cases. And so we we quite often try the cases and let the jury decide and, and, and usually have very good outcomes. I do think there is a perception in the District of Columbia that the juries are not as generous as they were in former days. Is is that your perception as well, or how would you describe circumstances? Well, I think it's more than a perception. Um, I think that the uh, District of Columbia, I know the Superior Court has kept statistics um, over the last 15 years. Uh, and uh, what uh, the, st- the statistics show is that the uh, amount of the verdicts um, have gone down a great deal. A lot of this has to do with uh, the stance of, of the insurance company, particularly on automobile cases. Um, and in, They're fighting them more aggressively or more effectively? Uh, well, that's exactly what they're doing, uh, whereas they used to um, – uh, perhaps offer three times the medical expenses, and that's kind of what a lot of people think. Um, they're not doing that anymore. Um, they find that by not doing it, um, it takes out a, a whole class of cases. Uh, it actually just uh, increases their profits, uh, and they make no 
Uh, there's no secret about that. Uh, they know that if you're not represented by an attorney and that um, they're going to make a low offer and that uh, perhaps you'll take it. Um, if you are represented by an attorney who uh, doesn't um, properly prepare the case in a way that Colossus would evaluate it, uh, that um, you'll get a, a low offer and less money. Uh, if you're not represented by an attorney who is willing to take the case um, all the way to trial, uh, then it's likely that your case will be evaluated at a lower level and that there'll be a, a, a lower so settlement. do you perceive lawyers and law firms have reputations for whether they're willing to go to the mat? Uh, I, I think that's absolutely true. Um, there are um, lots of firms um, that um, simply uh, may advertise that they that they uh, handle cases, take in a large volume of cases, uh, and uh, don't get the results that other attorneys do. And probably some of that is the sheer volume makes it impossible. Uh, I, 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 I can't comment on their <laughs> capabilities, but you know what I mean. No, no, and I wouldn't comment on, on that on that either. Um, but certainly, uh, operations that have, they have a high volume and don't have a track record for actually um, being in the courtroom um, are not likely to get a result that would be uh, the same as uh, other law firms. So I divine from our conversation that you believe it's important when you hire a lawyer for the kind of work that we both do, which is personal injury work, malpractice, crashes, premises, liability, that you find somebody who's done it before, who's willing to take the case to trial, and who understands how the insurance industry approaches cases. Well, I, I think that's a pretty good way to, to sum it up. And uh, I think fortunately, um, despite um, all the advertising that goes on on TV, um, that uh, prospective clients are able to figure out who those attorneys are um, because of the internet. And I think that that's the counterbalancing force between uh, lawyer advertising um, versus lawyer content on the internet. And I think that that's a, a great value to people. Well, I'd like to thank you very much, Victor, for your appearance today on Everyday Law. Hope to have you back sometime. Maybe we will pair you with another one of our unsavory colleagues. <laughs> well, I certainly enjoyed it, and, I, and I'd be happy to come back again. Thank you for having me. This has been Everyday Law. Your host, Bob Clark. Farewell.